Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning. My name is Megan, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Ritchie Brothers Auctioneers third quarter conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Thank you. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Samir Rathod. Vice President of Investor Relations and Market Intelligence to open the conference call. Mr. Rathod, you may begin your conference. Hello and good morning. Thank you for joining us on today's call to discuss our third quarter 2020 results. Joining me today are Ann Fandozi, our Chief Executive Officer, and Sharon Griscoll, our Chief Financial Officer, along with other members of the management team who will be available for the Q&A portion of the call. The following discussion will include forward-looking statements. Comments that are not a statement of fact, including projections of future earnings, revenue, gross transaction value, as well as other items, and the proposed acquisition of Ralph services and the anticipated benefits of the acquisition are considered forward-looking and involve risks and uncertainties. The risks and uncertainties that could cause our actual financial and operating results to differ significantly from our forward-looking statements are detailed in our SEC and Canadian Securities filing, available on our Investor Relations website at investor.richiebros.com. We encourage you to review our earnings release and Form 10-Q, which are available on our website, as well as Edgar and Cedar. On this call, we will discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures. For the identification of non-GAAP financial measures, the most direct comparable gap financial measures and the reconciliation between the two, see our earnings release and form 10Q. Presentation slides accompany our comments today. These slides can be viewed through the live or recorded webcast or downloaded from our website. All figures discussed on today's call are US dollars unless otherwise indicated. I'll now turn the call over to Ms. Fandozzi. Thank you, Samir, and good morning to everyone joining our call today. I would like to start this call by saying that all of us at Ritchie Brothers hope that you and your loved ones remain safe and healthy during this global health crisis. Yesterday, we reported record Q3 results in the midst of a lot of macro uncertainty. These results would not be possible without our outstanding teams who during this unprecedented time have kept their highest priority on health and safety while executing for our customers. I appreciate and am thankful to each and every one of them. The talent of our organization combined with our omni-channel platform continues to show strength and resiliency by delivering 14% top-line growth combined with a record third quarter adjusted earnings per share of 44 cents. I am going to review our third quarter priorities and how we executed against them. 
Sharon will then briefly talk about the specifics around our results, and then we will discuss our announced acquisition of Browse Services. Now, turning to slide five, I would like to share our progress against our Q3 priorities, which we outlined on our last earnings call. Our number one priority continues to be the health and safety of our employees and our customers, and we take every opportunity to reinforce our COVID protocols. Our disinfection, social distancing, and working from home policies remain unchanged. Second, being there for our customers is our true north. We are a learning organization, and we continue to look at all the tools in our technology toolbox to drive customer experience and value for both buyers and sellers. We have seen attitude towards adoption of technology with our buyers and sellers evolve during COVID. This has forced all of us to successfully experiment and ask what if questions. For example, we have learned that pooling smaller regional events into larger virtual events is driving more demand and solid price performance. We have also learned to further leverage our timed auction lot, or TAL, technology to new, to new use cases, such as our traditional on-the-farm auctions, as well as in our international markets. We are seeing great success, both price performance and seller and buyer experience. In fact, we have customers in this segment now proactively requesting TAL. This period has also definitively proven to us that our physical sites are a strategic advantage that widens our moat and offers our customers a unique service. Our sites are busier than ever with the care, custody, and control for record levels of equipment. We continue to curtail auction day events and ramping due to the pandemic. By not staging our yards for ramping, however, we have learned that it has enabled auction day pickup for buyers, enhancing our overall customer experience. We are spending this time thinking through how else our post-COVID environment will evolve. For example, one area we are going to experiment with is having bigger and better preview days to expand, strengthen, and heighten the buzz around equipment for our consigners all the while keeping the benefit of auction day pickup for our buyers. Overall, we continue to learn and respond to our customers' needs as they remain as fluid and dynamic as ever. Sharon will speak about what we expect our cost savings to be in a pandemic environment going forward. The movement to 100% online transactions has allowed our marketing organization to drive demand to new heights they are able to use web-based signals, such as priority bidding, watch lists, and page views that we obtained prior to the sale in conjunction with machine learning algorithms to allocate marketing dollars in order to maximize recovery for our sellers. This never would have been possible if not for the shift to 100% online bidding. As you can see, we continue to post significant growth across all our metrics. Finally, our third priority was to focus on financial flexibility and the strength of our balance sheets. Sharon will go deeper into the numbers. However, I am very pleased with the focused cost control and stewardship of our capital. We are also able to remain nimble, as highlighted by our recent proposed acquisition of Rouse. 
We believe it will meaningfully contribute to long-term shareholder value as data and analytics are fundamental building blocks to build excellent customer service in today's world. We also continue to leverage our balance sheet intelligently to meet the needs of our customers looking for liquidity via at-risk contracts. And now, over to Richie Brothers CFO, Sharon Driscoll. Thank you, Anne, and good morning to everyone joining the call. Overall, this was a very strong quarter for Ritchie Brothers, and the numbers speak for themselves. I am pleased to report an increase of 22% year-on-year in our gross transactional value and a 14% increase in our total revenue, driven by solid execution across all channels and geographic regions. Although we continue to experience some international border issues, the conditions dramatically improved in the third quarter, enabling us to conduct auctions that had been postponed from previous quarters, most notably in Italy, Spain, and Mexico. That said, we remain cautious and vigilant about the possibility of increased restrictions globally, noting that France, Germany, and England have recently announced tighter lockdowns which could impact our operations in these regions. As our first priority is to keep our employees, our customers, and our communities safe during this unprecedented health crisis, we will diligently follow our COVID-19 protocols as well as comply with local jurisdictional restrictions. As Anne mentioned, we continue to see reductions in direct costs due to our COVID protocols, as well as the shift to online during this time. Beyond this, we also remain disciplined and diligent on the costs we can control as well. The stronger revenue combined with our operational leverage allowed us to generate 91% year-over-year growth in adjusted earnings per share to 44 cents. I cannot emphasize enough how proud I am of the entire team here at Ritchie Brothers and our ability to serve our customers in this uncertain time. Let me quickly touch on each geographic region. The U.S. team delivered over 20% GTV growth in the quarter compared to last year, driven by higher sales productivity by both our regional and strategic accounts teams. This was also our strongest online quarter ever for our Iron Planet weekly featured events. The Canadian team delivered mid-teens GTV growth in the quarter, driven by strength of live auction events, aided partially by auction calendar shifts, as Toronto and Lethbridge auctions fell into this quarter, partially offset by the shift of the Grand Prairie event into Q4. Our Eastern Canada team drove strong growth, led by transportation sector volume. Our international team delivered high-teens GTV growth. While hard to quantify, we realized part of the growth here was pent-up supply in addition to auction timing, which we did see play out early in the quarter. TAO continues to be a great solution for this market, and we see increases in new and end-user participation at these events. Although year-to-date cash flow is down year-on-year, I want to note that this is due to timing of auction payouts and compensation accruals. Recall that we specifically called out the exceptionally strong cash flow performance in our third quarter last year, 
primarily due to timing of auctions and auction proceeds disbursements. I have absolutely no concerns regarding our cash flow from operations and note that with operating free cash flow at 151% of net income on a 12 trailing month basis, we are delivering well ahead of our evergreen guidance. Overall, we have very strong operational metrics as our talented marketing team continues to drive traffic, interest, and participation across our global buyer base. This is supported by the numbers as we are now seeing year-over-year -year price increases on a mix-adjusted basis here in the U.S. and Canada for used equipment. For those of you interested, I do encourage everyone to check out our free monthly report that covers used equipment pricing. Moving now to the financial highlights. The 14% growth in our total revenue was driven by a 25% increase in our services revenues, partially offset by a modest decline in our inventory sales. It is important to note once again that contract mix can significantly skew revenue growth depending on consignors' preference for how the deals are structured. We are agnostic between service and inventory-oriented contracts and stand ready to serve our customers in any capacity they choose. As such, we believe that service revenue growth is the best indicator of our overall top-line performance for our business model and most reflective of underlying business trends in the quarter. The commission revenue increased 24% year-on-year in line with the 25% increase in services GTV. The improvement was due to stronger guaranteed contract rates, partially offset by softer straight commission contract rates compared to last year. The strength in fees were primarily driven by increases in total GTV volumes and lot volumes. Operating income increased 68% to $67 million due to higher revenue and lower cost of services expenses due to our aforementioned COVID protocols. While we have started to see a slight uptick in travel and entertainment expenses, we think overall these levels of reduction in direct expense are likely to continue as the pandemic continues to unfold. While we expect COVID-19 protocols to remain in place for the entirety of Q4, we project that cost of services relative to prior year will trend at half the rate of growth of overall service revenues. Recall that we have transitioned to 100% online bidding and continue to leverage TAL technology for international and on-the-farm agriculture events, resulting in meaningful cost reductions in temporary employee compensation, travel, advertising, and promotion expenses. Adjusted net income increased 92% year-over-year to $49 million primarily due to higher operating income and lower interest expense, partially offset by higher taxes post the publication of the final regulations related to hybrid financing arrangements. Also, we have a one-time adjustment to net income of $3.2 million after tax due to severance costs incurred in the quarter related to the realignment of leadership 
to support the new global operations organization, as well as to position talent to deliver on our strategic growth priorities. We are only expecting modest run rate savings associated with these actions, as we will continue to upgrade talent and invest to support various growth initiatives. Turning to our options and marketplaces segment, we delivered robust results, both in terms of growth and rate. Service revenue was up 26%, with strong contributions by all regions due to service GTV growth and solid commission rates. This drove a stellar 14.3% A&M service revenue as a percent of GTV. Moving on to our options and marketplaces segment inventory sales revenue. Overall, our inventory sales revenue declined 2%. Let me dig a bit deeper into each region to explain the moving parts. The U.S. region inventory sales saw a decline of 17%, primarily due to lower inventory volumes from our government surplus contracts. This business unit is still recovering from the abrupt stoppage of inventory inflows during Q2 due to the Defense Logistics Agency base closures in response to COVID-19. The bases did reopen during Q3 and inventory inflows are back on track with pre-COVID levels. Our Canadian inventory sales were down 43% due to the shift of the Grand Prairie auction from 3Q to 4Q 2020. The one bright spot was international, which was up 24%, driven by a large private treaty deal in Australia, easing border restrictions, as well as strong auction execution on the TAL platform. Despite the decline in volumes on inventory sales, we did quite well on margin, with an implied rate of 11.6%, up over 400 basis points better than our third quarter of 2019, driven by strength in both the U.S. and Canada. I would add that our disciplined approach to at-risk deals, particularly inventory contracts, combined with strong price realization drove these results, and we are very pleased with overall rate performance during the quarter. Moving on to SG&A expenses. Overall, our SG&A increased 18% or was up 13%, excluding our one-time severance costs included in the quarter. Costs increased primarily due to higher variable and incentive compensation driven by the company's stronger operating performance. We also saw a slight increase due to continued investment in talent to support our growth initiatives partially offsetting these increases were lower travel and entertainment costs. Our thinking around T&E costs have, has not changed. We are a sales-driven organization, and when it is safe to do so, we expect T&E expenses to come back as our talented sales force gets back on the road developing and cultivating customer relationships. Overall, we are pleased with our expense discipline and will continue to be prudent as we manage our cost structure going forward. Although we will stay nimble and open to continued investment necessary to drive growth opportunities and the strategic priorities for the company that Anne and the management team will be unveiling in full at our announced investor day in December. Moving to slide 12, 
Just to recap our balance sheet and liquidity metrics, our operating cash flow of $261 million is 151% of net income, well ahead of our evergreen targets. At the end of the third quarter, we had $590 million in cash, cash equivalents, and restricted cash, in addition to available credit facilities of $637 million, of which $470 million was unused at the end of the quarter. We continue to be comfortably within our debt covenants, and our Treasury team successfully amended and it extended our credit facility from October 2021 to October 2023 in the quarter, and we have no material debt maturities until October 2023. We continue to focus our capital spend on supporting our technology programs and essential property investments and our trailing 12-month net cap, CapEx spend of $29 million is currently tracking within our full-year target of $35 to $45 million. Our solid cash position does provide us with the flexibility to make meaningful investments to accelerate our journey against our long-term strategic vision, and our proposed acquisition of Rouse Services does just that. At the end of the third quarter, our adjusted net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio was 0.5 times, continuing to be well inside our target ceiling of 2.5 times. Lastly, our return on invested capital measure of 11.5% is showing good improvement, up from 8.6% in Q3 of last year, and is well above our internal weighted average cost of capital. We are now through the third quarter under the pandemic conditions and continue to believe we are well positioned with a strong balance sheet and liquidity position to navigate any economic scenarios. Additionally, our proposed acquisition of Rouse Services highlights our ability and willingness to actively engage in opportunities that we think are strategic and will enhance the long-term value of our company. Shortly, Anne will be walking you through the strategic rationale of the acquisition, but let me highlight a few of the financial considerations of this deal. Under the terms of the definitive agreement, Ritchie Brothers will acquire Rouse Services for approximately $275 million and will fund the transaction through cash and stock. We expect it could close as early as December of this year, However, note that it is subject to customary regulatory approvals. Given that Roche Services was a privately held LLC and was not U.S. GAAP compliant, we are unable to comment on the company's financial metrics. That said, we do expect Roche Services to be accretive to earnings within 12 to 18 months post-close with minimal synergies. To conclude my remarks, I would like to thank again our employees for their continued focus on health and safety, as well as their resolve to meet all of the unique challenges this environment has created in serving our customers. Without them, we would not have been able to deliver such a phenomenal operating performance for the quarter. And with that, let me turn the call back to Anne. Thank you, Sharon. We are very excited about the announcement of our intention to acquire Rouse Services and bring two very customer-centric companies together. 
we see it as an excellent opportunity to accelerate our evolution from an auction company to a global trusted marketplace for equipment and services. Sharon has already walked you through the financial aspects of the transaction, and I will go into more details about the strategic fit. Rouse Services is a market leader in data and analytics in the industrial equipment industry. There are three flavors of what they do. The first is targeted at analytics around the rental vertical. We estimate that a majority of all construction and industrial equipment rental revenue in the U.S. flows through the Rouse system via proprietary ERP connections with their customers that get updated nightly. From the due diligence we conducted, a vast majority of Rouse's customers love this service primarily because it provides them with industrial benchmarks against which they can measure their performance. The second big part of their business is providing data and analytics for their customers that want to sell equipment on their own. And the third part is appraisals of used equipment, primarily for asset-backed lenders. Rouse Services is a subscription-based data-as-a-service model, highly stable with a growing client base. It comes with revenue and profit and has strong operating leverage. Overall, what they do is impressive, what customers say is great, but what was the best for us as we got to know them was the quality of the team. Gary and the team will be coming over in full force and joining Ritchie Brothers family. What struck us from the very first conversation is what they are willing to do for their customers. Here at Ritchie Brothers, we have a saying, we bleed orange, which means we go to great lengths to do anything for our customers. It just felt perfectly aligned from the get-go, and we are super excited. Driving the very best experience for our customers starts with data. It starts with arming our customers with the information they need to make the right decisions. Decisions around how they want to transact, how they want to go to market, and ultimately how they want to dispose of their equipment. And when we think about these things, they are deeply ingrained in Routes and in Ritchie Brothers. Lastly, both Ritchie Brothers and Rouse strongly share the core principles around data integrity and confidentiality. Every day, we have customers drop off valuable equipment, their livelihood, at our yards with little concern because we have earned their trust over the last 62 years to do the right thing. This concept around care, custody, and control is deeply ingrained in our culture and extends to our digital assets and data as well. We believe that the combination will benefit not just Ritchie Brothers customers and not just Rouse Services customers, but the entire industry. Now, I would like to share some considerations on our fourth quarter. From a priority standpoint, as you can see on the slide, they remain unchanged. We continue to see upside opportunities balanced by uncertainty and risks as well. From an opportunity standpoint, we had a strong Q3 execution and October was off to a strong start. We continue to see consigners that are focused on cash flow and inventory management, which should continue to drive liquidity needs. We are also watching for both timing and magnitude of any government stimulus to begin driving infrastructure spend. As the U.S. election passes, we see potential 
that consigners that were previously taking a wait-and-see approach change their thinking and start to act in terms of equipment dispersals and fleet realignment. All that said, there remains risks as the implications of COVID continue to cloud the outlook. The recent ramp in the COVID cases and infections globally are a great source of concern and may cause border restrictions. We may see a negative impact on equipment financing with recovery taking a longer duration. Lastly, we continue to carefully monitor any potential changes in the sentiment which could impact equipment demands and soften the current pricing environment as we progress through the quarter. In closing, I say how proud I am of our entire team in the face of this pandemic and their continued dedication to our customers. And I'm equally proud of how our technology-enabled multi-channel platform continues to deliver a strong experience for our customers. Before I open it up for questions, I want to remind everyone on the call that we will be holding our Investor Day on December 7th. As much as I would have loved to meet all of you in person, we will be conducting it virtually. With that, operator, please open the line to questions. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Our first question is from Craig Tennyson with Baird. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, just a really impressive uh, transition here by the whole team. I'm curious, you know, there is still this social dynamic that takes place at your live auction events, especially uh, in Orlando, for example, is there a need to find a way to replicate that social dynamic or can even that pivot, you know, online somehow? Hi, Craig, uh, Anne here. Uh, thank you for your kind words. We're very proud. Um, you are exactly correct. Uh, the social dynamic, uh, you know, is, is uh, difficult to replicate. What we have kicked off uh, in my opening remarks, we talked about the fact that we're a learning organization and we're going to be experimenting. Uh, what we kicked off is really uh, what we call kind of reinventing sale day, if you will, which is really picking off each of the activities that we provide during sale day, social dynamic being one, and thinking through is there a different way to do that in an online environment? And even in a physical world post-COVID, are there better ways to do the things that our customers value very much? So uh, I think there's about eight sub-teams. We've broken the day up into eight elements, uh, the social dynamic being one, and really about celebrating our customers. And it's about kind of bringing uh, the sales organization closer to the customer, all of these types of things, and really through how do we do those uh, even better in the physical world and alternatives in the digital world? Thanks. And then maybe a similar question, but the role of a territory manager clearly has changed. I, I get that you want to retain some of the, the travel and entertainment component of that, but you know, to what extent you know has that role permanently changed, and and what other considerations are uh, in play there for for that role? Yeah, so the, the role is morphing, and I think it's really morphing into the vision that we've had all along is the territory managers becoming much more trusted advisors 
and not simply kind of uh, focusing on what the next upcoming auction is. So the roles become more critical than ever before uh, because these people are armed with all of the data, all of the analytics to truly help our customers uh, manage their day-to-day business, uh, really as it relates to their equipment uh, in many capacities beyond just the auction platform. So if anything, the role is actually heightening its importance, not lessening, but for sure more fit. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question is from Michael Dumont with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, and Good morning, Sharon. Uh, great quarter. Um, I guess just dissecting the results a bit, the sg and rate was a large driver to the earnings beat, and, and that's despite, um, you know, the inclusion of about $9 million of short-term and long-term incentive comp, which I presume is linked to the share price performance. Now, we have a lot to, to think about um, modeling SG&A going forward. Any way you can provide maybe goalposts for Q4 or rate of growth in SG&A versus service re- uh, revenues? Just just thoughts in general, please. Um, yeah, sure, Michael. It's Sharon. I'll handle that. Um, you, know, you know, clearly we don't really give guidance, but um, we have offered in the past that, you know, our goal is to keep our SG&A growth rate well below our services revenue uh, growth rate. Um, you know, what you are seeing in the quarter is a combination of pickup due to share price, but most mostly, um, you know, the our changed outlook for performance uh, during the year. And, you know, again, we kind of entered um, kind of Q1 and Q2 a little more hesitant and cautious about what was what was possible, and um, you know the teams have really done such a fabulous job of being able to support and deliver value for our customers. So that's really what you're seeing as that pickup. Um, you know, so I I would I would still look at um, this rate of growth as as um, not indicative of what you'd see inside of of Q4, um, but our commitment that we will hold it to less than services revenue growth. Gotcha. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, and just flipping it over, um, I'm curious um, about the switch to, uh, or from live to online in Australia um, and, and the overall success of that transition. I mean, what's unique about Australia that would motivate um, you to do that transition over there? And could it be considered um, a pilot for, for other regions? Carl, would you like to talk a little bit about Australia, and then I will take the other regions' question. Sure. Um, so for Australia, Michael, we we started off with two options. One, we went with Cal um, as one option, which we exercised in uh, in EMEA, right? As you know, and then our other option for the online model was a reserved I reserve or sorry IP E reserved uh, model. So that was the one we went with in Australia, and it was mainly because we we had a whole bunch of consigners there uh, that we wanted to. First of all, there was skepticism to going 100% online that, in that market, and so we wanted to keep the reserve model as an option for them. Um, and we started off slow, but actually, in the past uh, three to four months, we've actually gained very good popularity and results with our our teams there and with our customers. And so we're going to be doing that and also looking at the TAL option going into Q1 as well as to complement each other. 
so with a reserved and an unreserved model. And just thank you very much, Carl. And for the second part of your question, Michael, we pride ourselves on being a learning organization and testing different models around the globe, probing for different hypotheses. So let me drum roll our December 7th uh, uh, session where we're going to uh, take you guys through the vision, the strategy, and equally the way we are going to experiment and learn. Um, and so this is just one example of we learned something in Europe, we learned something different in Australia, something different again with our ag events in Canada, and kind of bringing all of that learning around the globe that will be very much a topic of discussion in the summer. Got it. Looking forward to hearing about it then. Thank you very much. That was a great quarter. Thank you. Your next question is from Larry Zemira with William Blair. Your line is open. Hi. Thanks, and good morning, everybody. Um, so, uh, obviously, great quarter. We've been kind of accustomed to thinking about uh, the environment being high volume, low price, or low volume, high price. Um, Etc. But as we think about the next cycle, which appears to be starting, can we, do we think we can smooth out some of that kind of volume price noise because of the services and your upstream approach, or is that wishful thinking? Just trying to understand how you think the cycle could play out in a little bit more smoother fashion. Yeah, Larry. So again, thank you for the uh, kind words about the quarter. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. This is Anne. I'm a firm believer in kind of basic laws of supply and demand. Um, and uh, the biggest thing that we can do in order to drive the pieces that are, are in our control is to drive demand to very, very high levels, uh, uh, regardless of the supply cycle. And we're doing that with technology in a way we've never done before. So let me talk a little bit about what we're doing to drive it and then um, take a half a step back and answer the rest of your question. So what moving entirely online has given us is a visibility to eyeballs that we could never have when we split our transactions between live and online. And, and what I mean by that is we have much earlier signals of demand down to an individual piece of equipment, and then we use all of those signals, add to it our artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms to drive markets almost down to an individual piece of equipment around the globe. Uh, I would say of all of the learnings we're having, those are the biggest about the impact that having all of those eyeballs much earlier um, in the process is giving us in order to drive our part in the how can you have, you know, kind of high volume and then, and then still even higher demand to drive higher prices. So that's the first thing. Um, the second is obviously uh, we're looking towards an eye of what is going to happen around stimulus. Uh, again, as we talked about in the prepared remarks, uh, we fully uh, expect and, and understand if that goes forward, uh, the demand, you know, uh, will, will stay high. And again, our marketing tools will work with them. And if for whatever reason that doesn't happen, again, we're, we're, we're very bullish on our ability to do our part to drive demand and ultimately pricing um, to greater heights than we were able to do before. Okay. Thank you for that. Fascinating. Um, second part of the question, the, uh, as you guys move online, obviously you've pivoted. There's a lot of other online auctions out there. 
do you have enough confidence in your ancillary services and the footprint, et cetera, that you can continue to collect the, the premium pricing model? Yeah, so we're actually excited uh, about the fact that our omni-channel platform, we believe, is just uh, really a source of competitive advantage. We offer an online model for the transaction itself that comes with the benefits we talked about, about driving demand. But equally, the live sites just play an incredibly important role uh, in our uh, consignors' lives. Right, Literally, the care, custody, and control, the vast majority of our consigners, when they are done with a piece of equipment or they need liquidity, they want to just hand it over to Ritchie Brothers, forget about it, and then have us um, you know, ship them their money. And so the, the, this duality of this uh, platform in the live world with online transactions is really proving uh, to be an incredible source of competitive advantage that we believe will continue. And then if you layer on the services business uh, around kind of the RBAS platform and the ability to then layer on services into that transaction engine, uh, it paints really, uh, you know, a fantastic picture moving forward. Okay. Thank you very, very much, and good luck. Thank you. Your next question is from Michael Finneger with Bank of America. Your line is open. Yes. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for uh, taking taking my questions. Um, I'm just curious, and you know, we get this question a lot. I mean, how are you thinking right now about the the total adjustable used equipment market, um, and how that breaks down into auctions? But the fact that not every transaction goes to auctions. So, is do you feel like, and the opportunity is? is still that you can gain share in the live online auction market? Or is the bigger opportunity, and maybe this goes to the Rouse acquisition, that you guys can get your hands and touch on more transactions outside of the auction channel? Is that the bigger opportunity that, that you see for this company going forward? Uh, so, Michael, hi, Ann again. And uh, I would say yes and yes. And again, drum roll for our December 7th. I don't want to steal any of the thunder, but we will be addressing uh, exactly these thoughts around how we view the market. Uh, in the prepared remarks and in our uh, Rouse uh, announcement, we did talk about our transformation to a global trusted marketplace. Um, you know, we believe that that allows us to both grow auctions as well as the entirety of the platform that is uh, – fairly significant in size. And again, more on that in December. Fair enough. And and you come from the auto industry. You have that background. Um, from my understanding, the used auto market is undergoing a lot of changes right now. There's omni-channel players. Uh, there's disruptors like Carvana. Um, with, with how the used auto market, which is really massive, these changing dynamics, I'm just curious, with your background in auto, uh, what, what you've seen and what you've observed, I'm curious if you see any parallels um, on, on the used equipment side um, you know, for, for that side of the market compared to what you, know, you, you experienced you know, being, being a leader in the auto industry. Yeah, Michael, so it's uh, very interesting that you make that comment. So the answer is very much so. We see parallels and then candidly the drive to opportunities. 
So the leadership team, um, who you see before you, I think, um, on, on the slide, uh, we actually spent time this summer on a nine-day strategy session. So let me, if there's a question about how much time is the team spending together, really a lot uh, in this uh, virtual environment. And why we spend so much time is exactly doing that. What are parallels to our industry? What are disruptors to our industry? How do we view the world? Um, and auto is uh, really a fantastic model. So let me give you one very, very small example, um, and I think that'll, that'll kind of solidify the essence of the question. So in the automotive world, very basic. Everybody here, uh, you know, understands there's something called a VIN. So you type in your VIN, which is a, you know, alphanumeric identifier of a vehicle, and outcomes, everything you need to know about that car right, trim, options, everything. All you need is wear and tear and mileage, and you've got it. You are ready to go. Um, that doesn't exist in our industry, even that yeah, small example. And so, uh, you know, we believe uh, that if we are going to be enabling a marketplace and really driving the very best decision-making to our customers, we need to make sure that these types of things exist, that they're solid, that they're ubiquitous and, and able to drive uh, decision-making for both, obviously, the sellers and the buyers in, in a very transparent way. So if you take that small example and then roll it through the totality, as you've described it, about the transformation and disruption and these types of things, they for sure helped inform our 90 strategy, which you will then see the outcome of on December 7th. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question is from Ace Morales with CIBC. Your line is open. Hello, Ace. I'm filling in for Scott Thompson. Thank you very much for taking my question. Regarding the commentary on the SGNA, may I please ask if you could provide more details on existing or planned initiatives for lowering the fixed aspects of the SGNA cost? Thank you very much. I'm sorry, I missed the end of that question. Sharon, can you just repeat it? Sure. Just looking for additional details on any existing or planned initiatives for lowering the fixed aspect of the SGNA cost. Um, yeah. So I guess a couple things. So SGNA um, is mostly people, and um, you know, so particularly in this period where travel and entertainment is right now very low. Um, you know, and, you know, this is a company that is still very people-dependent, albeit becoming more technology-supported. Um, so I wouldn't say that there are um, active initiatives to change that, um, as, but it is, I think, being mindful that we are very conscious, um, and I'm going to echo Anne's comments about a learning organization. Um, that we are pilot, piloting an, an awful lot of things and um, we'll really only be investing additional headcount once we feel that we've proven out um, the viability of that hypothesis that we've had that it can grow um, either transactional volume or um, a revenue stream. So, you know, again, this is very much a, a, a professional services organization that is very dependent on people. And, um, you know, we will be looking at and we'll be talking about different components at our investor day about efficiency type initiatives that we're working on. Um, but I do think, um, you know, the, the overall fixed component of our SG&E 
of our SG&A costs is, is likely to remain intact uh, for at least the foreseeable future. Thank you very much. That was very helpful. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question is from Brian Fast with Raymond James. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, now that you have a couple quarters of, uh, of being fully online, I'm just looking for what you view as the biggest surprises or pinch points uh, of the move to 100% to online, and then further, what have been some of the pushbacks from customers, and, and how have you tackled uh, those issues? Yes, Brian. Hello, it's Ann. Um, so let me actually take a step back for everybody because I think the first surprise was mine. <laughs> it was to me when I came in. So the nature of how we have talked about our business in the past was live and online auctions. And I think to the uninitiated, um, I drew parallels to the retail industry thinking, oh, as we move more to online, we will have less reliance on kind of sites. Right, and I and I paralleled those to brick and mortar uh, retail locations. Uh, nothing could have been uh, further from the truth, because even before COVID, for those of you that have been with us for a while, um, seventy percent of the transactions during a live event were already happening online. And obviously, all of the Iron Planet enabled weekly feature auction, MPE, all of that had been a hundred percent online. So the very biggest surprise was this incredible value that our live sites offer, that at a time where 100% of our transactions are online, our sites are bigger, are busier than ever before uh, with the care, custody, and control that customers need and we uh, candidly uniquely provide. So that has been really, for me personally, one of the biggest surprises. The second, um, I would say, and, and, and very, very pleasant, is the resiliency of this organization. At a crazy, crazy turbulent time uh, in the world, uh, our people through you know, 62 years of legacy know our job is to be here for our customers. And what I observed, I, I will candidly say I've never seen before in my career, an organization engage to hold our customers' hands through this uncertain time. So as it related to sellers, to really explain what the online uh, pivot was going to look like 100%, and uh, explain at the time theoretically, and now we know realistically, what benefits 100% of the transactions online could mean from our ability to market digitally and kind of drive the demand that we've already talked about before. But equally, our customer service organization concerned that maybe buyers needed to be led through the process in the first couple of months, literally did an outreach. I've never seen anything like it. So 100% of our uh, registered buyers, similarly, to hold their hands through this time of uncertainty. Um, it, it left me uh, just speechless and in awe of the power of this organization, the strength of the team, and then the ability to marry really the technology and the strength of it with the reality of the physical world and the need for that that our customers have. It's, it's something, we use the word moat, it is so unique and such a source of pride. Uh, thanks, Anne. 
Um, and I guess not to steal the thunder from the upcoming investor day, but maybe just uh, some high-level thoughts on, on capital allocation priorities, uh, especially as uh, the business thrives in the, in the current environment. Yeah, I think then just to echo Sharon's words really is about we want to stay, you know, stewards of cost and capital and use uh, the money very, very prudently. We want to experiment and test. We want to understand what will uh, drive our strategic focus forward. Again, you guys are going to hear about it in December. Um, when things cross our path, like Rouse, uh, that fits so perfectly uh, with that agenda. We want to be able to be flexible and nimble to act. Uh, and as Sharon said, all of it's steeped in deep analytics and experimentation and testing um, so that we know uh, with high, high degrees of certainty before we deploy um, significant dollars. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Our final question is from Maxim Strucic with National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, uh, Anna and Sharon. Hi, Max. Uh, very impressive performance, uh, obviously. Um, I, I was uh, curious to think if, if you can try to attribute um, the acceleration of, of GTD momentum between kind of COVID, oil, and uh, potentially unearthing uh, new clients. Um, we're just trying to see if there is sort of a structural shift in terms of uh, growth momentum on a prospective basis, um, or is this sort of more of a cyclical upturn? I mean, how do you guys internally think about this? Yeah, so how about uh, let me kick off and then I'll turn it over to Sharon uh, for some color as well. So as we think about Q3, obviously very proud of the performance in the quarter. We were also very proud of the performance in Q2. And so as I break down kind of what, what has happened, kind of the overarching um, drivers of GTV, I tend to think about it as some things that are kind of out of our control and then, and then many things in our control. So obviously uh, construction remaining essential during COVID um, and not shutting down. Uh, you know, wasn't quite a, a tailwind, but certainly prevented what could have been a giant headwind. Uh, what we experienced in Q1 and then saw the reversal of in Q3 is, in fact, we did have a headwind in our international markets with the border closures. We saw that reverse in Q3, and you heard from Sharon and Carl, some of that uh, pent-up demand uh, came our way in Q3. Similarly, in Q1 and earlier in the year, uh, we had some, uh, you know, um, other customers specifically in the rental space kind of maybe holding on to some equipment with a wait-and-see attitude and then kind of uh, in Q3 uh, needing to drive utility uh, uh, utilization rates and, and uh, liquidity uh, through our channels. So that's kind of a little bit of very, very high level how this has been playing out. Oil and gas certainly uh, is an element of um, of uh, goodness in our GTV. However, um, the kind of the larger, uh, you know, if, if we believe that there may be some uh, displacement in that space, and, and maybe Sharon can speak to that, we have yet to see any of that really come our way in mass. Um, the things that are we believe uh, very much in our control is in fact our go-to-market model. Um, and uh, our omni-channel platform. 
the fact that, that we are able to kind of give that best of all worlds um, uh, to our customers in the physical world, giving them both the peace of mind that liquidity is there, uh, but also taking care of the equipment soup to nuts with our service offering, right? Just drop it off at one of our yards. We can inspect it. We can appraise it. We can spiff it up for you. We will market it. Um, uh, we will transact. We will uh, manage the, the uh, drop-off and pickup, and uh, we will send you your money is really proving to be just an incredibly uh, valuable um, tool. And then add to that what I've already spoken of a few times, this ability of 100% of the transactions, the visibility that's giving to demand on a unit-by-unit basis, allowing our marketing team to use tools that um, really drive demand and then ultimately recovery in meaningful ways. We think that combination has really uh, come to the forefront during this environment and will not be going away. Sharon? That's that's very helpful. Oh, sure. Yeah, so Max, I was just going to add, I think the piece that we still see right now, whether it's oil or COVID-related, banks right now still aren't acting like banks. They're being very patient with their capital. And so what we are seeing is is more um, kind of voluntary dispersals as people are planning um, their future. So is this a market I want to be in, a sector I want to be in? Um, And we are starting to see some defleeting Um, as perhaps some financial institutions and rental companies are projecting what might happen in terms of um, potential decreases in rental utilization or um, picking up kind of defaulted um, items once they start to apply pressure. So I think we are starting to see that activity today, but, um, you know, what we still see around the corner is more the forced uh, dispersals as the bank's um, start to apply more pressure on non-payments or, or uh, laggard payments and create more distress. Um, so I hope that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, and, and I mean, I've seen the same, obviously, from a kind of bankruptcy tracking. So, yeah, that makes sense. Thank you so much for the caller. Your next question is from Michael Senegar with Bank of America. Your line is open. Hey, guys, thanks for uh, just one quick follow-up. I believe you flagged a really nice margin rate performance on, on inventory sales in U.S. and Canada. Uh, Sharon, I think you referenced the, the strong used pricing backdrop, but your underwriting is still very low as a percent of GTV, uh, at least this quarter. And I know it's been that, been that for, for a few quarters now. Are you seeing anything in terms of uh, you know, the data analytics that you guys have invested in? Is it helping you perform better on these? packages or is a supply demand backdrop kind of starting to favor Richie uh, in this terms of in this business area so just any, any color on that would be great thanks everyone yeah so it's Sharon here um, so I think that's a great question I think you know clearly um, we're still very much open for business at, at risk um, we are probably taking a little bit more of a disciplined approach on making sure that our risk uh, um, is realistic and that in our underwriting of those contracts, um, in some cases, uh, customers, when they look at the pricing that we offer on at-risk, will choose to go straight commission. Um, and so I think, you know, the way I look with, you know, Doug and our valuations team and appraisal team is that we're really here to provide value, but we're 
were basically to um, also underwrite wisely for our customers. Um, I think the strength that we've noted in pricing um, is coming from a you know various pieces. I think there's still belief that infrastructure spending will be very active to um, pull the economy through this COVID um, crisis. And also, we are seeing challenges with new dealer inventory still as they're, as they're struggling um, to kind of get back on track with what was supply chain disruption that started kind of late Q1 and, and it was really only starting to get back online now. Um, but again, I think um, the team, our team has done a very good job of using data, using, um, you know, the extreme experience knowledge that we have on equipment and uh, making great underwriting decisions. And we have no further questions at this time. I turn the call back to presenters for closing remarks. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.